0: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. One of the things I mentioned on yesterday's show is a long-term trend for Alabama that does mean something to me. You can go back to the 2018 National Championship game against Clemson. Alabama was, for the most part, blown out. 2017 game against Auburn, Alabama lost pretty convincingly by double digit points on the road there at Jordan Hare stadium but for the most part other than that for many many years when Alabama has lost it has for the most part been pretty close this year to Texas A&M about a field goal uh 2020 didn't lose to anyone 2019 close loss at the end of the season to Auburn close loss to the eventual national champion LSU go back to 2016 uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, all throughout these years, when Alabama is losing games, for the most part, with the exception of the two that I mentioned, for many, many years, when they've lost, it has for the most part been a close loss. That is a long-term trend that means something to me. So, if it's possible to feel this way, the way that I feel about Saturday's game is, I feel justifiably pretty confident that Georgia will win. There's a lot of reasons to argue for UGA winning this game. Uh, I think most Georgia fans feel that way. There are plenty of people who are neutral observers, just want to see a good football game, but plenty of those – who also think that Georgia is going to win. But the one thing I cannot say, some Georgia fans seem to want to, and maybe they'll end up being right about this. But the one thing I can't join them on is, not only will Georgia win, it's going to win convincingly. Uh, I expect Georgia to win, but I expect it to be a hard-fought 60-minute type of game where Georgia has to play all four quarters to get that done. That's just kind of what the story's been when Alabama's lost games in the past. However, I want to talk about something different here for a moment. Because as much as there is that long-term trend of Bama when it loses it's playing close there is also a short-term trend this year that is equally worthy of attention that we have kind of said now over and over again that is there ever going to be that moment where Alabama kind of flips the switch and becomes Alabama this truly dominant team the likes of which that most of the country can only be envious of now Bama unquestionably has still been one of the best Teams in the country here this season and there's a chance if they lose on Saturday they still make the college football playoff we'll talk more about that uh before the show is done today but this notion of Bama being Bama boy it just seems like this year Alabama never quite you know, never quite took that final step towards actually being that version of itself and if your eyes kind of suggest that's true let me give you a number that kind of verifies that even more there's a guy named Brad Edwards He used to work for ESPN. Now he doesn't, but I still follow him on Twitter. Kind of a college football data type guy. He's, I think, an Alabama grad, too, I think, anyway. But the point is, he put this out there about Alabama, which I thought was kind of interesting, and that was worthy of us seeing here for a moment. So if you're watching a video, let me show you this on the screen. And if you're obviously listening to radio and podcasts, I'll read this to you. Now, Brad Edwards says, you can question whether Alabama fans should be bothered by close wins. But here's the reason why they are. Bama SEC regular season wins by seven points or fewer. He says in 2015, there was just one. In 2016, there was just one. 2017, once again, there was just one. 2018, 2019, 2020, there weren't any. But in 2021, there have been four wins for Alabama in SEC play by a touchdown or less. That is the statistical evidence that you need to say that Alabama this season has not quite been what we've used to seeing it be in the past because the Alabama that we're used to seeing in the past is for the most part handling its SEC games with ease great teams don't prove themselves by what they do in close games great teams prove themselves by avoiding those close games and for the most part over the course of years Alabama has simply avoided those close games but not this year and as it turns out a lot of those close games for Alabama have come against opponents that Georgia has also played Florida Georgia blew out the Gators Alabama played it right down to the wire Arkansas a couple of weeks ago that's another game that kind of went down to the wire but Georgia beat Arkansas up 37 to nothing uh, the Auburn game Alabama had to go into multiple overtimes to win that game uh, but that's a uh, game that Georgia won with ease in the same venue Jordan-Hare Stadium a little earlier in the in, in the season that Alabama has just played more and then uh, just played more close sec games this season than we're kind of used to seeing them before it's not really been that version of alabama but yet as i said a moment ago even with that said there is still the expectation for me that the the game is going to be close because while alabama may have won games in a, in a closer fashion than it has uh more often this season uh, as i mentioned a moment ago over the course of years when alabama has lost games those have had a tendency to be uh, a little close too which is where you kind of get back to the also the the history for Georgia against Alabama. And by now you know that. I don't need to spend a whole lot of time bringing this up, but we got to consider this going into Saturday's game. Georgia has had the lead at halftime in each of the last 3 times it's played Alabama. Last year, jordan Air Stadium, 2018 SEC Championship game, 2017 National Championship game. Now, I'm going to throw last year's game out because that's just a little bit different type of thing all the way around. But I had, I was on the radio yesterday in Atlanta on 92.9 The Game, and, you know, they asked me, and it's a fair question. It's the kind of question that should be asked right now what can Georgia do differently this time to make sure that result doesn't occur again that if we look at the preponderance of data here Bama playing some close games this year uh but also over the course of years losing when they lose the games have been close if we expect this to be the kind of four-quarter game where every play matters everything's a, everything's a big deal then what can Georgia do this time in 2021 to make sure that this time isn't like last time what can you know what needs to happen for that to be the case And I think the answer to this is actually really pretty simple. And the good news is I need things to be simple. I'm not always the smartest guy in the world. So when things can be simple, it just makes it easier to understand. And I do like it when football, which is by its nature, 22 guys in the field, uh, complicated schemes, when it can be simplified, I just think it's better for all of us. To me, here's the simple statement. Go back and look at what got Georgia in trouble, SEC championship game in 2017. No points scored in the fourth quarter. Go back and look at what happened last year in uh, Tuscaloosa. Uh, Once again, no points scored in the fourth quarter there. Uh, 2018 SEC title game. Am I right to say that Georgia didn't score in the second half at all? Is my memory serving me correct on that? that? That Georgia got points early and... Uh, did so to build a lead against Alabama but had a hard time maintaining that offensive momentum through the full game which ultimately I think played a big part in what allowed Alabama to get come from behind victories in all three of those games so let me give you a simple statement which I think can go a long way towards ensuring victory for Georgia on Saturday not guaranteeing victory because I can't provide that for you but here's one thing I think it can ensure victory for Georgia take a step towards making a victory more likely Georgia needs to score in all four quarters First quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. Score at the beginning of the game to make sure that Alabama doesn't get off to a fast start. Score at the end of the game to make sure that uh, Georgia finishes stronger than it has the last three times uh, that it's played Alabama. Alabama has shown itself to not be as strong as Georgia over the course of the season but these kinds of games have a way of being tight these kinds of games have a way of being closely decided and if Georgia wants to finish the game as well as it started the game in the previous instances when it's played Alabama that to me is that simple step Georgia needs to score in all four quarters on Saturday regardless of what the score is whether Georgia got the halftime lead they're trying to extend that lead or they got a halftime deficit they're trying to get even with Alabama regardless of if Georgia's winning or losing how much it's winning or losing by simply score in all four quarters that doesn't guarantee a win on saturday but that takes a big step towards i believe making a win more likely now as it turns out finally here very late in the year the georgia offense is starting to get some of the attention that i believe that it deserves The historic nature of the Georgia defense is obscuring the fact that the Georgia offense has actually performed really well this season. And the other thing about this is, and we don't shy away from saying this around here, the way in which George has done it offensively this year is a little bit weird. Setson Bennett was not the expected starter, but as it turns out, he has been the guy that's helped lead Georgia in part to some of the success. All kinds of injuries at wide receiver, the kind of thing that if you could have told me back in the spring that Georgia was going to be dealing with such a long season with so few of the guys that I expected to be leading receiver types for UGA— I would have been pretty concerned to think that was going to last as long as it has during the year, and yet the results for Georgia have still been almost as good as I could have ever expected, regardless of who was playing here this year. That's been the story for Georgia for the entirety of the season. It's been obscured, but now it's getting some attention. So if we're saying that one of the big keys for Georgia on Saturday, find a way to score in all four quarters, you know, maybe now people are kind of realizing, well, this Georgia offense, which is an SEC play you know, points per game, yards per play, all the ways in which smart people measure this stuff. Now, Georgia passed those tests with flying colors. Maybe this Georgia offense really is ready to do that on Saturday. A couple things from Kirby Smart that also backed up there as well. The quarterback who helped Georgia build that first half lead the last time it played Alabama was also part of some turnovers there late which allowed Alabama to ultimately get the comfort behind victory in Tuscaloosa also expected to start Saturday's game too that's Stetson Bennett and Smart did not shy away on Saturday or should say back on Monday of saying that looking ahead to this Saturday Stetson Bennett will play a pivotal role in just how successful Georgia's offense can be this is Kirby Smart
1: yeah, I think a big part of it is number one protection how well can you protect and allow him to, because no quarterback's very good without protection. I think we've seen all good quarterbacks have rough days when the protection's not there. So the first thing you have to do is protect him well. Um, you have to have a plan. Uh, he has to understand the plan. Um, you have to avoid adverse situations. You know, you, you, you get yourself in a bunch of third and longs. I don't care who your quarterback is. He, he's going to struggle because those, those take longer routes downfield to develop if you're going to try to get a first down. Um, and experience. That's the number one thing that Stetson's been able to grow from is looking back at that game, I don't know what that was. His second, third, I don't remember, uh, fourth start, and you know, he's played a lot more football now and um, certainly has improved in terms of decision-making. But that's a critical piece to every game is that player at that position makes so many decisions during the game that um, the outcome is usually affected a lot by the quarterbacks that play in the game.
0: Yeah, I think everything that Kirby Smart says there is true. There's no doubt that Stetson Bennett is a far improved version of himself compared to when he played at Alabama a year ago. But Saturday is a different kind of game for him. He's going to be making bigger throws than for the most part he's been expected to make throughout the season. Georgia just hasn't trailed very much. Georgia just hasn't hasn't been in close football games you know, very much, and therefore there's just a lot less pressure on a quarterback when that's true. We're not going to shy away from saying that on Saturday, Bennett's going to be playing in a challenging situation uh, that is far different for the most part than what he's played in thus far this season. It's a great opportunity for him to to go ahead and put all of that growth and improvement and, and, and everything that's made Bennett a special player for Georgia. Saturday is a great platform for him to go out there and put all of that on display. But as Smart said, there's also the nature of the protection here, too. You know, one of the things that makes Alabama challenging is while on a player-by-player basis, the defense for the Crimson Tide nowhere near as good as what Georgia has been, the individual player that we all know, Will Anderson, that's the kind of guy you got to be very uh, well aware of. Now, he's not the only guy capable of generating pass rush. They've got, you know, Toto and, you know, uh, LeBron Ray, other guys like that. But but in the case of Anderson, he is the one that stands out amongst the rest of the crowd. And so whether Jamari Salyer is healthy enough, able to play or not, or whether you're you know calling on Broderick Jones to do that or asking Darnell Washington to also chip in and be a part of that there too, blocking Bennett long enough for him to make some throws, that's going to be a big part of this Georgia offensive story on Saturday. But one more thing, and we'll get ready to wrap this up move on to something else. As I said a moment ago, it seems like now that fewer teams are playing and there's a bigger spotlight on on this admittedly very big game, all of a sudden things are being considered that maybe just weren't considered enough a couple of weeks ago. And people are becoming aware of just how successful Georgia has been offensively to complement the historic nature of the. Georgia defense. And the guy who ultimately deserves the most credit for this is undoubtedly Todd Monken. Munkin is not a Brawl's Award finalist, but I don't know how many assistant coaches in the country this year have had better success than what Munkin has had through all the injuries and through the responsibility of upgrading an offense that definitely needed upgrading. We're not going to sugarcoat that. Georgia offensively in 2019, the last time it was in the SEC championship game, which just simply not good enough to win a national championship. It just wasn't. I think in 2021, a lot has changed. and This offense now has taken the step it needs to take to be that kind of offense and Munkin even from Kirby Smart's words on Monday was getting a lot of credit for why that is in concert with a lot of other things going on for this unit right now more from Kirby on the Georgia offense
1: I think we've got good players on offense and uh, I think Munkin's doing a tremendous job of using their skill set I still don't know if we're as open as we would love to be we've had injuries at, at wide out we've had to do it some different ways I mean there's not a I mean, the huge difference in our offense is the production we've been able to have in terms of explosive plays, use of tight ends who are talented. Let's, let's be honest, insert Brock Bowers and insert Darnell Washington. You've, you've increased the talent level at that position. Uh, we're using the backs. I feel like we've used the backs well uh, before, and um, we've got a good group of wideouts. I think Coach Munkin's done a tremendous job of using our personnel uh, where we may not have, we may not be as big on the offensive line as we've been in the past. but I do think playing good offense is important to your success. You can't be uh, one-sided and expect to be successful.
0: So listen, I think everything that Smart says there is true, and if I'm going to tell you that I believe that Georgia has to score in all four quarters on Saturday, keep the pressure on Alabama from the beginning of the game to the end offensively, I trust this Todd Monken offensive unit to be able to do that more so than any other that Kirby Smart has. I'll also say this as a quick aside, and then we'll truly move on. I think it's interesting right there when Kirby speaks, what, 45 or so seconds about the offense, the two position groups he mentions in particular or what's being done with the running backs right now and what's being done with the tight ends. In every radio interview I believe I've done this week, I've mentioned that over and over, that if I was devising this game plan against Alabama to get the most out of a Georgia offense in a game in which you've got to be at your absolute best, those are the guys that I'm looking to go to. You know, putting them in motion, multiple backs on the field, multiple tight ends in the field as much as possible, and then throwing out of those sets and just really doing things to... to flummox Alabama when they've had issues with that now the secondary has been the, the place where they've been the most vulnerable defensively but as folks have told us some of that pre-snap stuff they've had some trouble with there too the kind of thing that a guy like Todd Munkin be capable of exploiting that's a lot of the game within the game uh for me on Saturday Georgia putting as many of its best players as possible on the field that is tight ends that is running backs and letting a guy like Todd Munkin who has shown himself to be a bit of a diabolical genius letting him devise all of that and giving Stetson a chance to do what he's been doing all season long, distribute the football in a highly efficient way. So I expect the Alabama game to be close. Bama games this year have been close. Their losses in previous years have kind of been close there as well. I think the outcome this time can be different than the previous Georgia-Alabama games have been, but I think it's going to take offense from Georgia in all four quarters. Got to score in all four. And if you do, A big big step towards victory, I believe that'll be an example of a dog's taking one. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good to have you with us here today. Whether you're joining us at 945 or for our first and 15 on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app, uh, 10 a.m. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio at Noon, Athens Sports Radio, 960 The Ref, Podcast form, Apple, Spotify, all the various podcast platforms. Just really happy to have you with us. And want to make you aware of what's going down tomorrow now hopefully by now you've heard me say this but listen in closely if you haven't i know uh i want your full attention for just a couple seconds if you don't mind tomorrow we're going to be back at the marlowe's in brookhaven for our chase for the championship event i'm going to be there jeff Santel's going to be there connor riley's going to be there our buddy john stenchcombe is going to be there we'll do a live broadcast which we're obviously going to invite everybody to be a part of but a special q a and meet and greet off the air there we'll relax we'll talk about keys the victory for georgia some recruiting stuff undoubtedly we'll probably come up with this we'll also enjoy some chef inspired food craft cocktails and everything else it's the marlowe's in brookhaven 3575 durden drive that's where we're going to be starting at 6 p.m tomorrow get there early so you can get yourself a good seat we'll be out there on the patio uh having a great great time Y'all, this is going to be so much fun. Such a great step towards what's going to happen on Saturday. Obviously, we've got a big day coming up on Saturday there as well. But the kickoff to the weekend is going to be tomorrow night, Marlow's and Brookhaven. And then after that, we're just shot out of a cannon. High school football on Friday. Uh, chase of the championship tailgate on Saturday. Massive day of coverage from Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Live again on Sunday for the college football playoff announcement. But But the big thing to begin with... The, we, the thing that starts off the weekend is our chase for the championship event, Marlow's in Brookhaven, 6 p.m. tomorrow, 3575 Durden Drive. Can't wait to see you there for that. Now, I'm going to have Mike Griffith coming up in a moment. We'll get a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report coming up from Mike. Injuries, keys to victory, everything else from really both sides getting ready for Georgia, Alabama. We'll look forward to doing that with Mike here in just a moment. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse. It's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And this is one of those topics, I guess you'll have to kind of put in the uh, category of honesty compels me to admit honesty compels me to admit there's a little bit of news and we can decide how real this really is but there's a, a little bit of news involving Georgia defensive coordinator Dan Lanning or at least suggestions of news now Lanning has been a hot name in the coaching ranks for quite some time he's been a truly successful defensive coordinator at Georgia more on that in a moment. He had a chance to leave Georgia this past offseason to take big bucks as a DC at Texas. His name emerged as a potential replacement for Les Miles as head coach at Kansas, and he's just been talked about a lot. Back at the very beginning of the season, early August, when Georgia was first kind of getting going with practice, that was a chance to meet with Dan Lanning there for a moment. And Lanning said at the time, Despite all the attention that he was getting for other jobs, he was certainly very comfortable with where he was at UGA, and there were a lot of things about his position as Georgia defensive coordinator that made this the kind of spot he didn't want to move on from. Let me give you this reminder from Lanning as context for what's happening right now.
2: Well, first off, I just got to say that I'm forever grateful to Coach Smart for giving me the opportunity to coach um, at the University of Georgia. You know, it's, it's, it's always been a dream of mine to coach the elite and have an opportunity to compete for championships at the highest level. And I think Georgia provides that. And,
1: um, you know, they've always been competitive. And when you have good programs, guys are going to get opportunities. Um, But the grass is certainly not always greener. And, you know, I learned that from watching Coach Smart for
2: several years. You know, uh, being where you're at and being successful where you're at, you know, those opportunities will come. But, But my focus is being here right now.
0: So that's well said, and that's you know part of the reason why Lanning turned down certainly the Texas defensive coordinator job that he had a chance to get this past year. And it's easy to say that when what you're talking about is a lateral move, or even based on the stature of the current programs, maybe a little bit of a step down going to Texas right now. It's a far different situation though when your name is kicked around for head coaching openings and. For the moment, Lanning appears to be a part of the rumor mill of Oklahoma. You are aware that Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to go to USC here this week, and there's going to be more dominoes falling because of that. There's a name, Dean Blevins, who is a TV reporter, long time there in Oklahoma, and he on Twitter this week has put out a list of the guys that he thinks are the top names for the Oklahoma job, and Lanning is on that list. Can we show you the uh, Dean Blevins tweet here? Uh, so this is what he says updated Dean's list of candidates for the Sooners. He says Georgia's defensive coordinator Dan Lanning, who is called a quote young bob stoops brent venables more than a fallback option luke fickle more likely notre dame he also says keep an eye on matt campbell with sec long shots mike leach lane kiffin he says gone dave aranda matt rule urban meyer now i think some people probably take this to mean this is what he's reporting that oklahoma is interested in it could be this just what dean blevins thinks would be the best names for the uh, sooners to consider uh but nonetheless you're seeing now Lanning's name kind of come up by a media source close to Oklahoma with a connection to that job I don't take this all that seriously right now I mean Lanning you you see the phrase that uh, Blevins uses there calls him a young Bob Stoops that's a huge compliment but the word that's doing a lot of heavy lifting there in that statement is the word young I mean for now Dan Lanning is still a really young guy uh, and moving on to become a place like Oklahoma to be head coach there that'd be a big step up for uh, Lanning, who probably lost out on the Kansas job because Kansas made it pretty clear they wanted a sitting head coach. They wanted someone with head coaching experience, and so that may have hurt Lanning in his pursuit of the Kansas job, but now you got a media guy in the state of Oklahoma kind of mentioning him here for the uh, Oklahoma job. Once again, this is probably more Blevins' opinion, I think, than actual reporting about what Oklahoma is considering, but nonetheless, you're going to hear more of this kind of thing, and Obviously if you're a Georgia fan the thing you gotta understand is there is nothing you can do about this. When you have success, your coordinators are going to get attention. Lanning's getting it now for media types, Munkin may get some more of that pretty soon. Uh you may see position coaches start to get talked about here at some point in time. I believe Del McGee is probably going to be a head coach somewhere and you know other guys getting their chance for prom- promotions or whatever is going to go on. You just sort of have to accept this is what comes with the territory and you really can't count on keeping a guy, you know, much longer than than uh the, the the track record will allow. However, the thing to be reminded of here though is even on a team like Georgia where Kirby Smart's a defensive mind head coach and guys like Will Muschamp are pitching in here, I don't think that Lanning's impact on Georgia can be undersold. That Georgia over the course of the last couple of seasons, pandemic year a year ago where it was a shortened year, and certainly here in twenty twenty one, we have seen the pass rush for the Bulldogs come into full fruition you know uh previous Georgia defenses were good they were limiting yards they were limiting points but they weren't getting after quarterbacks well on Saturday we've always kind of said that the magic number for Georgia was that 40 plus sack number that's what we wanted to see Georgia get for a full season well Georgia didn't just get that for a full season they accomplished that in the regular season on Saturday they got as much as three games still yet to come here this year and they're already above 40 sacks for the year that's the impact of Lanning as he's growing into his role of Georgia defensive coordinator that's allowing that to take place so the Blevins thing I don't know that I take it all that seriously that that Dane Lanning's a real candidate for the job at Oklahoma as a fan of Lanning I'm happy to see him get mentioned in this kind of regard because honestly uh, that's a top 10 level job and that'd be a really cool thing for one day Lanning to to be able to have but one way or another enjoy Lanning while you have him because it's his aggressive personality that I think is making a huge impact on this uh, Georgia defense right now. So that's kind of what's out there on that. And that is around the doghouse. And it's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And so many of you were all over Rooms to Go all the course of the uh, last little bit. Holiday shopping season has started, and you had plenty more chance to be at your local Rooms to Go and getting that furniture that you need to kind of go into the new year with. Holiday gift, or if you just want your house to look good for some of those holiday parties you have going on. Rooms to Go is the one to know for all of that, whether it be the simple accent piece, the the, the the single piece of furniture, or the thing that Rooms to Go is probably the most famous for, which is furnishing that entire room there in your house. Rooms to Go can do all of that for you. You can start your shopping experience online at Rooms RoomsToGo.com. You can stop by one of their showrooms and feel, touch, lay on, sit on the furniture that you will eventually call home, whether it be bedroom furniture, living room furniture, dining room furniture children's bedroom furniture uh, outdoor patio type furniture to take advantage of that outdoor living space rooms to go can do all that for you they furnished around the doghouse for us here today and you can find out more about what they can furnish for you check out rooms to go.com that's rooms to go.com or just stop by one of their showrooms and see it for yourself here today all right great to have you here on our program dog nation daily we'll talk college ball playoff top 25 and how that impacts Georgia in a little bit we will get into where Jordan Davis stands right now. Hashtag JD to NYC. Sincere thanks to all of you who've kept that hashtag going and really kept the push going that uh we started for Jordan Davis and his Heisman campaign thanks to all of you who've been so great in all of that and we'll tell you where it stands with JD right now with that ESPN vote that's ongoing we want to get him to New York we want to make him a Heisman finalist there's more chatter about defensive players right now than you ever would have imagined and Davis is right there we're going to make sure that he stays at the head of the pack on all of that so we'll do that coming up here in just a little bit but for now here on dog nation daily big game on Saturday Georgia prepping for it right now Let's learn more about that. We get a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here today on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to uh, Mike Griffith here. Always great to have him on a Wednesday. Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike, getting some uh, information about the dogs, and the Crimson Tide, of course, Mike was in uh, Auburn on Saturday for the Iron Bowl. Uh, Mike, before we get into Georgia, Alabama, let me uh, pick up with you where I was just speaking. You know, I, I do expect Dan Lanning's name to come up in some of these coaching searches. It may just be rumor mill type stuff. You know, it may just be, you know, the hot name, best coordinator in a really good unit. But I think it shows his evolution as a name that folks know. He's a, he's a Brawls Award finalist. You know, he's in the mix for all of that. And it's just one of those things, as a Georgia fan, you kind of have to make peace with, like all college ball playoff contenders do, that if you're having a good enough season, your coordinators are going to be in demand. My guess is we hear Lanning's name kicked, about, kicked around a lot here over the course of the uh, next couple of months.
2: Yeah, you know, as we should. I mean, look, look at what Mel Tucker has done. Since leaving Kirby Staff, going to Colorado, and and certainly Michigan State being the Big Ten Coach of the Year, you look at what Sam Pittman has done. Uh, Shane Beamer with some success. Now, you know, Kirby's not the only coach that, that those men worked under. Uh, Tucker and Pittman are veterans of the trade that worked under several coaches. at Beamer as well, well-traveled. But still, they pick up a lot on what they learned working at Georgia for Kirby Smart. We had them on Dog Nation, uh, Sam, Mel, and Shane all did shows on Dog Nation in the spring and and talked a lot and favorably about their time with Kirby Smart. So uh, I think that Dan is a very capable guy. I think he'll have plenty of opportunities. You know, the question is, when will he be ready? You saw Kirby Smart had many opportunities before he left Alabama for his dream job. And I guess my question is, what would be Dan Lanning's dream job? Could he be hired at Duke? Sure he could. He'd be a good coach at Duke. But do we think he would cash in his hand? coach a program like that you know that's what we don't know uh and only time will tell
0: yeah the other thing I'll add to this too is is and this is just important for me to keep kind of putting out there in the universe for as fortunate as Georgia is to have a sharp defensive mind like Kirby Smart maybe the sharpest of them all and a guy like Will Muschamp now on staff that although he's special teams coordinator certainly has some influence on that defense that's an incredible luxury there as well I don't think that the role that Lanning in particular plays in all of this should be obscured in any form or fashion. For as good as those defensive minds I just mentioned were, I think it's Lanning who should get a lot of the credit for the way in which the Georgia defense has transformed the last couple of seasons. This is a much better pass rush team, really in the last two years, than it was in 2019. Stingy defense, but not impactful, not havoc plays, not things like that. Yet in a short pandemic season a year ago they were better rushing the passer from a statistical standpoint than they had been this year already 40 plus sacks going into the uh, postseason that's a phenomenal number way higher than even what Georgia did in a 15-game season back in 2017. And I think it's Lanning in particular because of the way that he speaks and because of the way this has grown under his watch in a way that did not exist before he became defensive coordinator. Mike, I think it's Lanning in particular that ought to get, get credit for that impact of the way that Georgia's grown defensively because if Georgia does win the national championship this year, I believe that's going to be a big reason why. Oh,
2: no question. You know, I, I'm with you. Dan deserves a lot of credit. The players love him. You know, I remember Kirby talking about how he how he thinks outside the box, you know, a couple of years ago uh, when Mel left and we didn't know who the next D.C. would be, and, and they threw Lanning out there for the press conference. So, you know, it's kind of like, okay, is it going to be Dan Lanning? And Kirby said, you know, he did some things outside the box, and one of those games against Auburn that impressed Kirby. And, and you know, the way he communicates with the staff, he's very well liked. Um, when he does leave, he's going to take some guys with him. That That's the other thing that will happen. You just wonder who goes with Dan Lanning and who stays It all might be a moot point, though. I mean, Dan Lanning may be coming back. You just don't know when the coach feels like he needs to cash in his hand. I mean, right now these salaries are seemingly skyrocketing. Georgia's going to lose a lot of their defensive front. Uh, I'd put it at 50-50 that Dan Lanning's back next year.
0: Yeah, he's still a very young guy. People should kind of keep that in mind there as well. Turning our attention to the game itself there on Saturday, uh, Mike, you've obviously been following the situation in Athens closely. We're in the Iron Bowl uh this past week for alabama and auburn i think the one thing that i'll start with on the alabama side here quickly and you saw this in person yourself and at least i i think you'll agree with this is that it remains to be seen you know how good alabama is in comparison to the rest of the teams in 2021 they're you know still right there in the college ball playoff conversation but this is not an alabama team that's on par with what alabama i think has had in the past as we said off the top of our program today they're playing more close games than we've seen them play in the past they had a hard time putting away an Auburn team albeit on the road on Saturday but that's a place where Georgia won easily a few weeks prior to that that on a week to week game to game basis there's just no doubt that Georgia's been the better of those two teams that doesn't guarantee anything for Saturday but you can't help but notice that going into the game here this weekend
2: oh no doubt I mean this will be the weakest Alabama team that, that Georgia's probably faced, uh, maybe pre-Saben. You know, I mean, the offensive line is giving up, I think, 36 sacks. It's 12th in the league. And, you know, Bryce Young is is magical as he is. And, you know, his mobility is, is really impressive. He's really quick back there, really keeps his eyes downfield. An accurate passer. Uh, you know, he can't do it alone. He's only got two wideouts that are real dangerous. You know, the big blow to Bama, though, B.A., I mean, losing Brian Robinson was a huge blow. I mean, that's a 225-pound battering ram, third in the league in rushing. I mean, he was a real weapon. That's an NFL running back right there, and, and I don't know that he'll be back. It looked like he pulled a muscle on that 37-yard run in the third quarter against Auburn, and you lose him, and now Alabama's down to one back. You know, Trey Sanders, that's it. That's the only scholarship back that they've got with experience, and uh, the two and three uh, would be some five-star that hasn't played yet, and a linebacker would be the three running back. So not a lot of depth at running back. Uh, really poorest offensive line outside of Evan Neal. Of course, he's a top five or top ten draft pick. But but other than that, they have not performed well. And and they've been sporadic on offense. You know, it's kind of come in spurts, like you said. You know, we've seen them light some teams up. And, you know, then they didn't score until the fourth quarter against Auburn the other night. And, you know, really the first time Alabama had been shut out uh, in 52 games, going back to the first half of the 2017 National Championship game. So, Uh, No, it's not your typical Alabama team because of the line play, particularly on the offensive line. And as we know, that's Georgia's strength. So that's going to be a real challenge for Alabama to try to protect Bryce Young uh, against his Georgia front so far. uh, Nobody's had a whole lot of success. I guess Tennessee's had the most success, hit some deep plays early, scored 10 points in the first quarter, and then didn't score again until there were three minutes left. So uh, I think things bode very well for Georgia when it comes to that matchup. Uh, it would take an unbelievable performance for Bryce Young to win this football game.
0: Still expect the game to be close, though. I am picking Georgia to win, but I'd be surprised if it's not a tough four-quarter battle. That's typically what it takes to beat Alabama. Every play is going to be magnified in a game like that if it plays out the way that I just suggested. The other thing that I said before you joined us is, Mike, if you look at the one thing that Georgia didn't do in its three previous losses to Alabama, and I'm going to kind of throw out the 2020 game because that's just a little bit of a different thing all the way around to me. Uh, much better teams in 2017, 2018 that battle Alabama in those championship game scenarios. You know, not scoring points in the fourth quarter, not scoring a ton in the second half. You know, I said. I like simple things. I like simple statements. And a simple statement for me is a Georgia offense that's been good against everybody all year long is going to be good on Saturday there as well. I think Georgia's got to score in all four quarters to give itself the best chance of winning. That's the one thing that hasn't gone well in the past. It's the one thing that if you want to if you want to use the season-long advantage you've had over Alabama to your advantage again on Saturday, you've got to score in all four quarters.
2: Well, there's a lot of scenarios for how this game could play out. I mean, this game could be over with by halftime uh if If George is able to turn Alabama over uh able to get to Bryce Young and enforce turnovers um you know you, you hate to bring injuries into the equation, but Bryce Young is a slight guy he's not the biggest guy in the world, and he's being chased by uh you know guys that are going to be making millions of dollars hitting nFL quarterbacks here in the next couple of years uh, first and second round picks so you know the Alabama's got to survive that first half to have any chance and, and i'm not i'm not I'm just not sure that that that's what's going to happen again there's a lot of scenarios. You know, another, you know, Georgia has been getting off to slower starts in SEC games. You know, that's another factor. Does, does Georgia get off to a slow start? You know, you think about, uh, you know, the game against uh, Florida, zero to zero, or excuse me, three to zero with three minutes left in the first half before the defense breaks through and forces the turnovers and the 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 twenty-one points in three minutes, which was, to me, still one of the most fascinating uh, moments of the season. Uh, you know, they're trailing Tennessee ten to seven after one quarter. They're leading Missouri 7-3 to three after one quarter, needing a fourth down pass. They have not been fast starters in the SEC games. Um, or do they start fast in this one? Do they turn Alabama over? Uh, to your point, if it gets into a four-quarter game, uh, you know Alabama has played those games. You know Their last three games have been one-score games. They're, I don't want to say they're comfortable with that, but they're familiar with that. How would Georgia respond in that situation? What would the Georgia offense do if it needed to come from behind? These are scenarios that we haven't seen because Georgia's been so good. They've been very effective and very efficient with Stetson Bennett, uh, you know, taking these shot plays. Uh, You know, maybe not the highest completion percentage in the league, but when they connect, they're connecting better than anyone for an average uh, of more yards per play and per uh, pass play than anyone. So when they've hit the pass, they've hit it well. It's been off of the run game. They're a play-action team. There's no secret in that. Uh, Most effective offenses are – and Kirby's going to try to establish the run. And granted, to me, that's the whole key to the game. If George is able to run the ball effectively, this will be a blowout. Simple as that. Yeah, if I, I can run the ball effectively, it'll be a blowout.
0: I can't go there. I mean, you may be right. Uh, there are plenty of Georgia fans I've already heard from on our comment section that agree with you. I, I just can't get there. I, I, I expect this to be a uh, close football game, uh, but it's certainly interesting to hear the way in which you break it down. The other thing I think is interesting here, if you want to stay on the Georgia offense for a moment, Alabama defensively has been most vulnerable with its secondary, and obviously Georgia needs to try to exploit that on Saturday. But the best version to me of the Georgia offense, the thing this group does better than anything, and this is all to Todd Munkin's credit because uh, you know, this is just smart play calling. When they have multiple tight ends, multiple backs in the game, when they throw out of that set, they never look more like an NFL team than when they have that, you know, two backs, two tight ends, and when they're, you know, setting those guys in motion and throwing to those guys and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's just the best version of of Georgia to me. And if I was, you know, if I had Todd Munkin's brain inside my head and I was trying to design a game plan for Saturday, I believe that's the button I'd want to try to push as much as I possibly can. How do you get these multiple tight ends in the game? How do you get these multiple backs in the game? And how do you throw to them? Because those playmakers have shown you uh, they're absolutely capable of doing something with it. And if I know that, then Alabama probably knows that too, which means in the case of Brock Bowers in particular, they're going to try to do something and maybe try to take him away. But that, to me, is Georgia's at its best right now. You know, sending those guys in motion and throwing to them and and doing creative things like that, I expect to see a lot of that on Saturday.
2: Yeah, I think Alabama's going to have to play a really risky defense. I mean, we saw that's what Auburn did against Alabama, and I think Alabama's going to have to gamble, and somebody's band's going to play. I I think Georgia's going to – you know, Stetson is – if Stetson finds the open guy – uh, there's going to be some big plays because they're going to gamble. They're going to gamble. They're not going to play too deep very much. They're going to play single high. They're going to bring that guy down in the box because of what you just said. You know, Georgia likes to use those those uh, that ace formation with two tight ends, sometimes three tight ends. Yeah. And I, and you've got the running backs that can catch the ball. And don't forget, Stetson can run the ball. I mean, I saw him carry for a couple of first downs against Georgia Tech, and, you know, that's, that's what he brings you. That mobility, as Kirby said, that extra hat in the box that you've got to account for, or Stetson will tuck it and run. And, uh, and that's where Alabama's going to be challenged is not only do they have to account for all these players, as you said, but they've got to account for Stetson Bennett off the scramble. And he doesn't need to make a living too. He doesn't need to run it nine or ten times. He only needs to do it two or three times, and that's enough. Keep moving the chains. Hope that Todd Lesney's kicking the field goals. Looks like he's been strong of late. Those, those early season flutters that we saw, I haven't seen those in a while. He looks steady, strong. Hope the special teams is up to par. No reason to believe that they won't be. Um, I, I, again, most scenarios would call for Georgia to win this game comfortably. I'm not saying that Alabama can't win. I'm just saying that if you play this out in your mind and you look at all the different scenarios, Georgia. There's a reason Georgia is a prohibitive favorite, and the only reason they're not favored by more is because the betting public remembers those Alabama games and they go, "Well, it's Alabama." But as you pointed out yourself, Brandon, it's not the same Alabama.
0: Yeah, but... Let me talk to you more about that in a moment. Let me t- tell people what we're doing. Then I want to talk to you more about that and then we'll let you uh, get ready to get going here today. It's our Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith. Of course, Georgia Farm Bureau has been here for the folks in the state of Georgia for decades and decades. Since 1959. They've been taking care of you. And for some of the folks who listen and watch us on a daily basis, hardworking folks trying to get to work each and every day, need dependable transportation to be able to do that. And of course, when you think about dependable transportation, you think about dependable auto insurance provider there for you as well, because that's a really important part of that equation. And that's what Georgia... Farm Bureau is dependable. They keep their promises to all of their folks. They live, work and play in communities just like yours and mine all across the state of Georgia, Local agents, claims adjusters, friendly folks—they're on all ends of that spectrum, taking care of you when it comes to the auto insurance situation. That's why Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. You can find out more: gfbinsurance.com, gfbinsurance.com. You can find out more about what Georgia Farm Bureau is bringing to the table on all of that. All right, Mike. Two things—we'll let you go here. Uh, thing number one is this. I can't undersell Alabama here, though, because while this is not, you know, historically good tied team the way it's been in the past, they're the only team that comes close to rivaling rivaling Georgia when it comes to offensive and defensive efficiency nationally. This is clearly the toughest opponent this year that Georgia could play. And the fact that Alabama's played close games in SEC play, I'm not going to let that you know, convince me that somehow this team wouldn't run rough shot over most of the uh rest of the country. So I just think it's really important here not to undersell Alabama. While this may not be a historically good team, there's still no guarantee this doesn't turn out to be the second or third best team in the country for here this season and the toughest challenge that Georgia's likely to face on its way to a national championship. It's just really important to make sure that I get that out there. Yeah,
2: that's fair. You know and, and you know, I think a lot of people are familiar with the piece that uh ESPN's uh, David Hale did about how you beat Georgia, right, and how teams with good defenses have actually fared better. Uh, you know, the three best defenses that Georgia's faced, and this is kind of crazy, we can hear it out loud, Clemson, Florida, and South Carolina. You think those are really the three best defenses? Yeah, they really are. And that's kind of crazy. Alabama is a step up. You're right, Brandon. Their front seven is very good, and there's talent in the back. Um, you know, but, but Georgia's gotten better. You know, Stetson Bennett has gotten better. I I thought he played his best game against Georgia Tech. I mean, he looked so comfortable back there. Uh, The throw to Burton was was really on point. Um, You know, very accurate. The timing is really good. Um, You know, comfortable moving around in the pocket. So you've got a quarterback that's playing red hot right now. Uh, you've got an offensive line. I mean, my goodness, did Kirby Smart really say out loud that he's not worried about the left tackle position if, if his Jamari Saylor can't play? Yeah. I mean, Jamari might be one of the top three or four offensive linemen in the league. And, and, and George's depth is, and talent is to the point where Kirby's like, yeah, you know, we're not real worried. Broderick's done a good job there. I mean, it, it's incredible. Alabama's down to one scholarship quarterback, and, you know, you got a guy in Dejon Edwards, I think would probably start for two-thirds of the team in two-thirds of the teams in the league, and he he only gets garbage time. You know, Kenny McIntosh uh, exploding. This will be the second time in the last three years. He's had the longest run from scrimmage. And and don't forget, Brandon, you know, from that KM Squared show we did when Kenny told the story about his recruiting visit to Alabama, and he was in the coach's office, and he looked down on a piece of paper, and they had running backs in tiers, and they had him written down as a second-tier running back. He's never forgotten that. Hmm. That's a guy who's going to have added motivation. So I I really like the matchup here for Georgia. I like what Kirby Smart's put together. This is by far and away the most talented team in the country. They're head and shoulders above everyone else. Uh, Complete confidence that that Kirby and his staff are going to have a game plan. They've got Nick Saban right where they want him. To your point, yes. Uh, Maybe Alabama is the second or the third team. But that's more of an indictment on college football than anything else. Uh, Georgia looks like they're in a league of their own to me.
0: well, let me finish with this really quickly, and we'll do this in a kind of one fail swoop here. Obviously, a lot of injuries to be aware of. You mentioned the Jamari thing, a Jamari thing. so give me Jamari, give me Christopher Smith, give me Pickens Kieras, give me Kendall Milton. Anybody that I'm leaving out here? Just give me an overarching uh look at this group here right now.
2: yeah, the most concerning injury for this game in the playoff is Christopher Smith no and, doubt. and that's if that's if. Alabama is able to protect and and keep Bryce Young upright long enough for him to look downfield, which not many teams have been able to do. He may just want to snap the ball, just throw it as far as he can, as high as he can, and hope for the best. My goodness. Uh, But the the Smith injury is, is is certainly the most pressing. I think they do need Jamari back for the stretcher, and I hope he'll be back soon. I like what he brings to the run game. Again, I think George's ability to run the ball is what sets the play action up, and that's the whole key to the the championship run in my mind. You know, Kendall Milton is a a fantastic talent and a fantastic back, but if he wasn't ready for attack, I wonder if you throw him in a game like this. I don't think so. Don't think we see him until uh, Dallas, presuming that they, you know, I assume they're going to win this game. I think they'll go to Dallas as well. Uh, George Pickens not a big factor, but not because George isn't talented. There's just not a lot of targets to go around. I mean, if this game goes like I think it will, You know, Stetson will throw 17 or 18 passes, and they'll run it 40 times because that's what Georgia does. And that's okay. They're going to power it, man. They're not going to take any more chances than they need to. Now, when they do throw it, they're going to be effective. They're going to complete 14 or 15 of those passes probably for 250, 270 yards. If you're going to profile Georgia, that's what it looks like. So Pickens, yeah, okay, maybe gets a couple targets and catches one or two balls for 67 yards, but it's not like the good old days where he's playing with Jake Prom catching 12 passes in the first half or catching eight balls from J.T. Daniels. That's not this offense, and that's okay, because one of the guys he will target that will catch three or four is number 19. And I would say this, Brandon. I don't know that I've seen um, a tight end with this much impact on a championship team, on any college football championship team. Brock Bowers has been unbelievable. I think, I think we've undersold it. I don't think we've talked about it enough. I, I think he's a candidate for the freshman of the year. I think he should be a first-team All-American, and I think we should have him up on billboards. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe Georgia Powers should make it Georgia Bowers. I don't know. We need some NIL money for Brock Bowers next year because this guy is a game-changer. I don't know. In my, back when I used to play NCAA football, i say, man, it'd be great if I could just plug some of these legends in. Is he Red Grange? Mm-hmm. Is he Jim Thorpe? He's a throwback. He's dominant. It's so much fun to watch Brock Bowers, and I guarantee you it's keeping Nick Saban up at night. He mentioned him the other day on his teleconference, number 19.
0: Yeah, uh, for sure. uh, An amazing season and really a very consistent year for the most part for Georgia, which has been kind of nice to see playing uh, great against Tech this past Saturday. Mike, thanks for your time here for the Georgia Farm Bureau Practice Report. We will uh, certainly see you a lot in the uh, days to come, including at Mercedes-Benz Stadium there on Saturday for the big showdown for the SEC Championship, Georgia and Alabama. Uh, Mike, thanks for your time. We'll talk to you later on.
2: Thanks, B.A. Have a good one. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is
0: SEC Through. Look, for everybody who's saying that it might end up being a convincing Georgia win, you may turn out to be right on that. I just can't get there, though. And it's not about, oh, B.A., you don't have enough confidence. It's not about that. I mean, look, Alabama if you want to start using like FPA you know FPI data or SP plus or all that kind of stuff I mean Alabama is the one team in the country that comes the closest of matching what Georgia has been able to do this year Georgia's top five in both categories offense and defense the only other team that even approaches being top 10 is Alabama uh you know you got teams like Oklahoma and Ohio State they're great offensively but terrible defensively Wake Forest kind of in that category too you get a team that's that's really good defensively not necessarily great offensively You know, Ohio State comes the closest to being both. You know, for those of you that love high school football, and I do, uh, you know, last week there were three examples in Georgia high school football of number one playing number two in the state quarterfinals. The reason why that can't happen is there's no seeding in Georgia high school football. Um, You just match up the regions and you just play how that works out, and sometimes you play the best team in the semifinals, the quarterfinals. It's not always a thing that the two best teams play in the state finals. Sometimes it is, and it's not always this particular case college football kind of works at the same way there too that i think it is a tremendous disservice to this game to act like ah oh, yeah georgia by the second half is gonna be playing you know uh whoever <laughs> you know you know walk-on players in the game that's a tremendous disservice to the game alabama doesn't get beat like that very frequently um you know, frankly, Georgia has had its issues second half against Alabama in the past I don't make too big of a deal about that going into this game but you have to acknowledge this is a gigantic hill that Georgia climbs over and you know to act like it was a foregone conclusion going into the game that Georgia was going to walk away with this win I think that does a disservice to the celebration that ought to ensue once Georgia wins and that's really what it comes down to here. Is that if Georgia wins this game on Saturday, despite the fact you've got college football playoff coming up and all the things uh that will that will matter there, this ought to be a celebration for the ages on Saturday. It should. Because you got twenty-four hours to to enjoy that win before you gotta start thinking about making travel plans for Miami or Dallas or thinking about who you might be playing in the college football playoff. It ought to be a celebration for the ages on Saturday if and when georgia gets off over the hump against alabama and i don't want anything being said that obscures that this notion of oh yeah georgia's way better than alabama I'm gonna walk in there and just stomp all over them no 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 no. we're not on this show we are not taking that tact that may turn out to be true but we are anticipatory for the game so that we can celebrate when it's over uh this is a big one for georgia on saturday i expect it to be close i expect the dogs to emerge but I expect a real challenge, Dan. By the way, speaking of celebrations, one of the things we're going to do from a celebration standpoint is when this season's finally done, we think it's going to be done halfway through the month of January, but when this season is finally done, we're going to be on our way on a wonderful cruise with our friends at Royal Caribbean, Independence of the Seas, uh, leaving out of uh, Cape Canaveral, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, a part of all of that. It's April 25th through the 29th, four-night cruise, Uh, going out of Port uh, Canaveral, uh, on Independence of the Seas, special Dog Nation cruise, bigger than anything we've ever done in the past. This is going to be incredibly fun, but the time is now to get your plans made to be a part of the cruise. You've got to book your travel for all of this, so it's on sale. Our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority are helping us with all of this. If you go to dognation.com, you can get linked up with the Cruise and Vacation Authority and get locked in For the dog nation cruise y'all do this now as a special holiday gift you know for that person that that you want to surprise with something really great here this holiday season you know we'll give you you know figure out something to put in the box but you know have that gift ready to be opened up and you open up hey you're going to the dog nation cruise no better holiday gift than that april 25th through the 29th me mike griffith jeff Sintel, special guests may be stopping by there as well uh fun fun event leaving port canaveral nassau perfect day coco k on the independence of the seas go to dognation.com find the link to get in there and book your travel to be on the dog nation cruise with us it's going to be a great time all right let's talk about the chaos that could ensue here as championship weekend takes place on saturday uh college Ball playoff top 25 came out last night let me give you a quick look at all of this and let's talk about the teams that we think are still alive here for a moment obviously george is at number one michigan moves up to number two no real surprise there. Bama stays at three. Cincinnati stays at four. Oklahoma State moves up from seven to five. And so here's what I think you have. I think you have seven teams who are potentially still alive for the college football playoffs. Some people might say eight. They might include Baylor. I don't because Baylor is obviously playing in the Big 12 title game on Saturday. I think there are seven teams still alive here. I think it's obviously the top six, and I'm also going to include Ohio State in that as well. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and people kind of don't want to hear that, but I would include Ohio State is still alive for the college football playoff. So this is what it comes down to. Michigan plays a big favorite against Iowa. I mean, you know, can Iowa keep it close? We can debate that. We probably will go with the flow later on this week, but one way or another, Michigan probably wins. That's a ticket punch. Georgia at number one undefeated the clearly best team in the country thus far I've been hesitant to want to say this but now I think you probably can say Georgia ticket has been punched for the college football playoff it's simply a matter of seeding now and also a chance to maybe eliminate Alabama but Alabama at number three while for the last couple of weeks it seems like we were trending away from the possibility of you know, a two loss Alabama making the college ball playoff. I think they're kind of now back part of that discussion again, because think about Cincinnati at four. There has not really been week to week. Very impressive Uh, gets a chance to play Houston on Saturday. That's a ranked team in the American athletic conference uh, championship game. Let's see if Cincinnati can hold on to its spot right there. Or, you know, let's see what happens in the Big 12 title game between Oklahoma State and and Baylor. You know, Oklahoma State got some help last week to beat Oklahoma. Uh, You know, this notion that they kind of slide into that spot, not easy to imagine. Also, I think it'd be interesting to see if Bama plays Georgia close and it's a side-by-side comparison between Bama and Oklahoma State. Probably Oklahoma State gets the nod there at that spot, but you can't be 100% sure. Notre Dame sits there at six. This is a team that's been kind of quietly hanging around now for a while, but you had Gary Barta playoff selection committee chairman last night talk about the possibility of, you know, Notre Dame without a coach. He says that wasn't considered in the rankings last night, but kind of setting the stage for Notre Dame possibly being excluded from the playoff if they were to have an opportunity to slide in because uh, Brian Kelly's no longer there. And so that's what brings, at least partially, maybe only by a thread, that's what partially brings ohio state back in the discussion for me, for me here too the argument being well they only lost to the maybe the pac-12 champion oregon or they only lost on the road in the snow to michigan and if you wanted to spin that narrative for ohio state you possibly could do it That there's probably not a huge appetite for the big 12 champion although you may have to take them there may be no longer much of an appetite on the part of the committee for notre dame because they no longer have brian kelly and it just kind of looks weird taking a team like that in the playoff they'd love to exclude cincinnati if they have any choice whatsoever so with Georgia and Michigan the most likely playoff teams, I think what happens in these rankings between 3 and 7 with the two potential two-loss teams sandwiching that discussion, I think that's far from concluded. If you want the simplest safest bet, you might say Georgia, Michigan, Oklahoma State and Cincinnati. Maybe that's the simplest bet, but I don't or the safest bet, but I don't know that it's the it's the only possible outcome we have here. But if you're a Georgia fan, consider this just for a moment. If you're talking about a scenario where the playoff is what I just described a moment ago, getting past Alabama, maybe eliminating them from the discussion, and then only having to worry about Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, could it really work out that easily for Georgia? And I don't want to be overconfident, but I'm also not a coach. I don't have to give you coach speak. That's the kind of college football playoff that you should certainly expect Georgia to dominate. It will make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of our friends at royal caribbean important update on jordan davis coming up in just a moment before that though our friends at the Finnish long drink folks have asked me ba do you really like the finish long drink as much as you say you do yes i do does my family really like it not my family my my wife she's the one of my family that gets to drink that yes she really likes that there as well and for those of you that haven't tried it yet this is the perfect chance to do so because if you go to the you can find out about the entire story about how it came from finland in the 1950s about how it's been here in the united States. i should say it's started in finland in the 1950s it's been in america now for the last couple of years in georgia and all over the place now the Longdrink.com, you can see the whole story you can also put in your zip code and kind of find out where close to you you can find some finished long drink for holiday parties coming up uh this is certainly a great thing to have on stock there for your holiday parties, whether it's the long drink cranberry, the traditional it comes in the blue can, it's kind of a kind of grapefruit flavor. Long drink strong, that's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long drink zero, zero carbs, zero sugar. uh That's good times there as well. And if you're saying, well, ba, I'm not really quite so sure which of those I might like the best. The great news is right now, wherever you find the finished long drink, you can also find those eight can variety packs, which is two of each of the versions of the long drink that I just told you about before. So go the long drink.com find out where the finished long drink is close to you and you can enjoy some here for this holiday season boy it makes a holiday party that much more fun and enjoyable so try yourself some finished long drink here today so we have been occupying this golden shoe space the last couple of days with the big espn push now if you go to promo.espn.com we'll put a link up when i post show at dognation.com today i'll put a link the Heisman voting thing from ESPN. We want to get Jordan Davis over the top here. We want to get Jordan Davis, hashtag JD to NYC. We want to get him to New York City as a Heisman finalist. The voting is ongoing. Now, I couldn't fit this entire thing on one screenshot, so I had to kind of get a little bit creative here. So let me show you where Jordan Davis stands on this as of right before this show began today so he's at 15 percent of the total vote that puts him at number three on the voting list right now so this is the heisman trophy voting thing that espn's got going on y'all keep the jordan davis votes going hashtag jd to nyc let's get jordan davis to new york city's heisman finalists also gator hater countdown How about 332 days from now dogs go back to jacksonville new coach same result dogs on top we'll see you tomorrow dog nation daily and on the podcast, time now for the RS Andrews Podcast cooldown, where I take your comments from Twitter at Dog Nation Daily, comment section there at DogNation.com. Those are the best places to share, to be a part of this portion of the show. And I always appreciate when those of you do just that. Let me get Wazo the Wonder Dog, who writes in to say that Alabama's gonna be playing for a shot at a national championship. General consensus lose to UJ and out. You can argue uh, that they're one play away from being undefeated. They're still loaded with top-ranked players, and past performance is no indication of how they'll do Saturday. Coach Saban has shown amazing resiliency in the past, especially against UGA, and we're 0-6 against Alabama recently. However, this is our chance to rewrite the narrative for both the short and the long term. There's a sea change taking place. New coaches at Florida and LSU. Texas A&M is recruiting at a white-hot level in Texas and Oklahoma. Will be there soon. Anyone who thinks they can accurately predict the SEC in five years is kidding themselves. Best case scenario is that UGA wins out and sets up a dynasty in college football for years to come. If Alabama loses to UGA, I fully expect a significant number of their players to either sit out of their bowl game uh, or mail it in. Lots of potential benefits for UGA. I agree with a lot of what Wazo is saying there. In that college football is more of an infinite game that no win is ever final and No loss is ever forever. I mean, look at Florida. Like, they got drilled by Georgia this year, run Dan Mullen out of town, and yet they've already, you know, regenerated their enthusiasm about the brand-new coach, uh, you know, Billy Napier. That's just kind of the way things go, That, that a win hopefully sets you up for more wins in the future, and a loss just becomes a thing you have to kind of come back from. But there's never a season finale in college football. There's not the culmination of everything. It just kind of rolls right into the next season. So what Georgia is playing for is almost as much the future stuff as it is the present stuff. And that's not to make light of what Georgia has a chance to accomplish by getting over the hump of Alabama, by eventually winning the national championship, but these things have a way of setting up even more success in the future and that should not be overlooked that that if Georgia wins this national championship for as amazing and enjoyable as that will be there is still going to be an appetite for more success in the future. And the kind of things you do now with Alabama potentially on the come down, with schools like a bunch in the SEC essentially either in the process of a reboot or just beginning a reboot of their program, this really could be the kind of moment which Georgia gets to establish something that's truly long standing, And that is certainly a part of my thought process here of what all of this could mean for the future. But it's also that chance to to satisfy an insatiable appetite in the present, to get over that team that's been the bull of the woods in the SEC, to get over the hump of Alabama. What a a big deal that would be. And to look at a college football playoff that probably sets up for Georgia as well as any could ever do so. You know, I have pushed back for the entirety of the calendar year on the notion of its championship or bust for UGA. Georgia's not going anywhere. Time is on Georgia's side because it's got such a young head coach. But Over the course of years, could you ever see very many scenarios shape up where it sets up as well as it does for Georgia right now? Seems hard to imagine that too many of these paths towards a national championship will be as wrinkle free as this one appears to be. So, big opportunity lies ahead for Georgia that could be impactful for this season and impactful for plenty more seasons to come. Great comments, as always. Thanks for being here for our podcast, Cool Down. As I said during the regular show, make sure you vote for Jordan Davis online at ESPN.com for his uh, Heisman candidacy. Let's get hashtag JD to NYC across the finish line. Let's get Jordan to New York as a Heisman finals. We'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily and for the R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Make sure you check them out online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you again tomorrow.